Hello, this is Reverend Mary Ellen Swartz, I'm an ordained unity minister, and it's my pleasure to share some of my thoughts and concepts and understanding about the parables of Jesus. I especially love the parables because to me there are so many levels of meaning within each one. In fact, the word parable means a parallel story, and I always think about Jesus' parables as being provocative in that they challenge uh, us, they challenge the reader to find meaning. There's these, it has multifaceted meanings within it. And so to me, it challenges or provokes a, a response from within us. Recently, I came across the statement the best teachers are those who show you where to look. But don't tell you what to see. Well, I don't think there are any better teachers than that of Jesus. And to me, I believe what he did was to uh, show us where to look. And then uh, because of the many levels of meaning within each parable, we would find what is what was needful for us at any given moment. So, almost all of Jesus' parables really had to do with teaching about the kingdom. And so, his stories point to where to look for the kingdom. And then what we see or what we find there will depend on what we are ready to understand. And there are many levels of meaning, not just one, as I've said before. So uh, this particular parable that I wanted to share today um, is found in Matthew, Luke, and the Gospel of Thomas. And it is the parable uh, about a marriage feast or a great supper or a dinner and those who were invited and the reasons or excuses that were given not to attend it. The story in Luke uh, tells that it's a great dinner to which many were invited. But when it came to the actual time for the dinner, excuses were made about why different ones couldn't attend. One bought a field and had to go see about it. Another bought five yoke of oxen and had, go, had to go examine them. And another had just gotten married. Then the story is also found in uh, Matthew, 22nd chapter. It's similar to the, the one that I mentioned earlier, the one in Luke, but it mentions two who were invited and then they declined to attend. One had to go to his field and another had to take care of business. And then in the Gospel of Thomas, it tells of a man who was having dinner for out-of-town visitors. And when the dinner was prepared, a servant was sent to let various guests know that it was ready. But each one asked to be excused. One said, wholesale merchants who owed money were coming. And so he had to be there for that. The second had bought a building and was needed there. 
The third said a friend was getting married and he was giving the dinner. The fourth said that he'd bought a village and he was going to go collect the rent. So even though the parable is told in a slightly different way in each of these uh, uh, scriptures, the conclusion is similar. The master of the house ended up sending the servants into the streets and the lanes and the highways and the byways to invite anyone and everyone to the dinner or the feast. So, what was the meaning within this story? Some have said that it was Jesus' way of explaining the difference between the kingdom of heaven within and the messianic kingdom belief that was still held by many people, many followers of Jesus. In other words, there had been an accepted belief that when the Messiah returned, the oppressors would be overthrown and Israel would once again be that great kingdom that it was in the past. Others believe that this parable or story was mainly addressed to the Pharisees or those who kept every aspect of the Levitical law, the ritual and the ceremony and the externals of the law. If this be the case, this wouldn't be the only time Jesus pointed out that it's also what's going on within our thoughts and feelings that's important as well as any outer uh, actions and external uh, application of the law. More than once Jesus said, you've heard it said of old, but followed with, but I say to you, and then gave a deeper teaching or a deeper level of application. Well, certainly this parable can be a reminder that outer acts alone uh, are not where the inner kingdom is realized. And still others have said that this parable or story points to the excuses that can be given for not accepting Jesus. I know, for example, as a child in a traditional Christian church, I heard this parable taught uh, as being about the sin of letting anything stand in the way of one's salvation, your job, your finances, your business, your family, whatever. And that approach um, indicated that eventually a time was going to come and uh, the end would be there and uh, the last train to heaven would be leaving and you don't want to have that train go without you or someone you care about. So you better get with it. Actually, that never made sense to me, even as a child, because I kept realizing that Jesus was teaching about the kingdom within. And I could see how his parables were pointing to finding that place within. So, the kingdom is like. If the kingdom is within, and we cannot be excluded from what is already within us, what does this mean? It means that we're not excluded, but we can be unaware of it. We can be unconscious of it, but we cannot be excluded from it. I can say that again. 
we cannot be excluded from the kingdom because it already is within us. We cannot know it. We can be unconscious of it, but we cannot be excluded from it. It's an integral part of who we are as the very expressions of God life. So when we look at the parables from a, a, what I'll call a metaphysical level, in other words, some deeper levels other than just the literal outer story, we might ask ourselves, well, what do these people and these things in this story represent within our own thinking and feeling? What do they represent in our consciousness? There's a story about us, and if it is, then what is it about us that is being brought to our attention? Charles Fillmore, the co-founder of Unity, referred to these stories uh, of the great feast or the supper several times in his sermons, and he suggested the certain man issuing the invitation symbolizes spiritual law. Not a person, but spiritual law. Now that makes sense to me, because spiritual law and divine love is impartial. And as it were, it offers an open invitation always to absolutely everyone. When we're all invited to partake of the feast of all good, the substance of God good, the invisible God stuff in which we live and move and have our being. And so it's as if a feast is spread before us, but we aren't forced to eat. We get to choose whether we will accept it or not. One time we were on a cruise and there was a little girl who was very upset. She was telling her parents that there was nothing to eat on the sh ship. Well, if you've ever been on a cruise, you know that that just is not so. There's always something to eat. But what it was was she wanted a peanut butter sandwich and there were no peanut butter sandwiches. So for her, there was nothing to eat. She saw nothing else. No fruit, no vegetables, no desserts, no whatever. And sometimes we're like that, you know. We, we have our focus on one thing. And if we don't see anything else, we feel like nothing is there. So really, these stories say that everything was prepared for the feast and then a servant or a messenger was sent out with the invitations. And then there were all these different reasons for declining the, to attend the feast. Taking care of a field, looking after a um, yoke of oxen, just got married, going to collect rent, etc., etc. So, back to the reasoning or the, the meanings. Charles Wilmore suggested that the field which someone had to take care of instead of attending the feast could actually symbolize our belief in materiality. We might say this, this could have to do with anxiety regarding business. In other words, putting one's time and energy into that which has transitory value rather than lasting value. The five yoke of oxen, Charles Fillmore suggested, could be symbolic of our five senses. 
I think that makes sense. And going to take care of them could be likened to being dependent on our five senses for our satisfaction. And actually, we have many other senses to discover and explore, but often we limit ourselves to the five. And the marriage as being given a, as a reason to refuse the invitation was probably based on Deuteronomy and the limitations that could be placed on a man who just got married. In other words, he he must not be sent to war within the first year, etc., etc. But this parable is probably not so much about getting married in an outer sense, but it may be a reminder to think about what we might be married to or wedded to. And this could, of course, refer to personal relationships, but not just to that. It could also refer to being wedded to a belief or an attitude or a habit or whatever it might be that we would allow to stand in the way of accepting our greater good. So it's like this, in this story, there is an RSVP. I have to say that one of the things that just annoys me is when people say, please RSVP. Well, if you know the French that the this RSVP stands for, please is already included in that. So when I see please RSVP, I think, oh, come on, you know, find out what you should actually, what's good grammar here? Anyway, well, that's just me. Um, maybe you noticed in each parable about the feast or the celebration, there was a part about an invitation being issued. And then when it was declined, that invitation went on to be offered to others who weren't uh, on that original guest list, shall we say. Have you heard it said that each one of us has at least one million dollar idea in our lifetime, but not everyone will do something with it? Most activities or enterprises are built on ideas that somebody else rejected or couldn't see the value within it. To me, this parable sort of has a similar uh, connection. It seems to indicate that the, the first who received the invitation, uh, the first individuals declined it. But what happened? The invitation went out and out and out until it was eventually accepted or until someone said yes to the opportunity. And you know, this is exactly how divine ideas work. They are never wasted and they never give up. Energy never dissipates. Light never gives up. It just keeps on until eventually it finds an opening. It finds a pinhole. It finds a little crack, no matter how small, that it can shine through. I remember a spiritual teacher saying, flood our government with light. Flood all the representatives with light. Flood all the senators and with light. Flood all the leaders with light. And when there is 
a moment of openness from one of them, the light will shine through. And they will respond to it, whether they know they are or not. Here's another thing about the invitations and accepting them. I do not believe that there's just one opportunity to accept that the continual invitations that flow from the Lord of our being for our greater good. Truth is, and truth is always available to anyone and everyone. Truth never dissipates. Truth never runs out. There's no expiration date on it. And so regardless of who someone happens to be or where they are or how they got there, it is the business of the Lord of their being or the law of our being to continually flow truth to us and flow opportunities for us to accept that truth. Now, we're not always receptive to the truth, are we? Sometimes it's because we just haven't accepted that we're deserving or we're worthy. Sometimes it's because other people have said things about us that we don't deserve. We're not smart enough, clever enough, young enough, experienced enough, educated enough, you know, on and on. And sometimes we aren't receptive because we have regrets. The past stands in the way, and we allow that to block our good, as if it was some real thing. In the parable, when those who were invited declined because it wasn't convenient for them, or it was an inopportune moment, or whatever, that didn't stop the invitations from going on to others. And that's just the way it is. Uh, the invitation to accept our good is continually being offered, not just to certain ones, but to everyone. But no one is forced to accept it. It's always our choice. Now, the kingdom is within. It's a state of consciousness, or it's a realization of our oneness with God, oneness with our source. And so whether we know it or not, whether we've acknowledged it or not, we're all seeking the kingdom. We're seeking to know our good. We're seeking to know our oneness with our source. And when we begin to realize that what we are searching for is inside us, not outside us, that is a big step toward finding what we're seeking. And then, eventually, what we realize is that it's not just about what we are seeking, but we realize that what we are seeking is seeking us. In a sense, we could say that what we seek, we already have. We've already been given. And Jesus taught this in so many ways in his parables. To me, it's like each parable is designed as another window for us to look through and see. As I ask for clarity within concerning this 
these parables or the feast and the invitations, what came to me is that this is about quickening our spiritual taste buds, as it were. It's about quickening our spiritual appetite, our appreciation. And it's about growing a deeper realization that it is the living water and the living bread, the bread of life, that will truly satisfy us. So the dinner could be likened to the party of life. You could say it's your party of life, my party of life. And we get to accept the invitation. We want to be aware of what we're saying yes to, what we're agreeing to. And so think about it this way. Who or what are you inviting to your party of life? And what invitations have you been accepting to other parties? We invite with our thoughts, not with actual invitations sent out. We invite with our habitual kind of thoughts and words. We don't want to invite sorry to our party. We don't want to invite unworthy to our party. We don't want to invite lack or illness or things like that. We want to invite the most positive things that we can. Anytime we have an attitude that someone else is more deserving than we are, then it's like we're we're rejecting our good. Anytime we have the attitude that someone is less deserving than we are, we also are rejecting our good. And then finally, let's remember that life has more meaning than we have ever given to it. What we are doing is not just living a few years and then making our exit from planet Earth, but we're, we're in for the eternal, infinite aspect of life. And so there's more to life. There's always more to life. There's always a feast that's been provided. And it's never ending. And there's always something that will whet our appetite, will be just the taste, just the color, just the thing that is fulfilling in the moment. And so, regardless of how it might seem to be in your life right now, I want to remind you that there is a feast that's prepared. It has an abundance of love, an abundance of peace, an abundance of joy, an abundance of, of all good that's available. The invitation is being given. It's up to you to say yes to it. It's up to you how much of it you will feel deserving of. But you always have another opportunity. It's, there's no last train, as it were, to the kingdom. So think about this. Think about saying yes in every possible way you can to the good that is already provided for you. So God bless you. God bless your day. God bless your week. 
And if you feel guided to support what we are doing, we do have a PayPal link on this website or this site. Okay, thank you, God bless you, and have a wonderful life.